Romans 5, turn there if you would. We are currently studying the second half of this chapter, which are verses 12 through 21. Paul's goal in these verses are to share the comparison slash contrast between Adam and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we first began this second half of chapter 5, beginning in verse 12 there, I made a statement back then that verse 12 combined with verse, um, verse 18 are Paul's complete thought. Okay? If you, matter of fact, if you look right now at verse 12, you'll probably see a line at the very end of that verse. I think pretty much every translation does that. It's almost as if Paul doesn't finish his thought. That's why it does that. And let me show you that. I'm going to read verse 12, and I'm going to read verse 18. Verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned, and then you're like, "Uh, what's next? Well, you go to verse 18, and it says, Well, consequently, or therefore, just as the result of the one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. So verse 12, he's saying, here's what happened. Here is what took place under the one man, Adam. And then completing his thought in verse 18, he says, here's the result. Here's what took place under the Lord Jesus Christ. So instead of putting those verses, if you will, back to back, the Apostle Paul chose to bring up what took place under Adam in verse 12, and then he spent verses 13 through 17 really talking about that. It's like he gave us, if you will, half the story, and then he spent that time, those next few verses, talking with that. And then come verse 18, which, by the way, we're going to be looking at this morning, he finally gave us the completion of of that thought. Now, to no surprise, I've been taking uh, a little longer than usual going through these verses because there really is a lot there. There's a lot being said, not just in the book of Romans, but certainly here in chapter 5. Matter of fact, we actually spent two weeks just looking at verses 12 through 14, which discussed um, how sin entered the world and who it came through, and why. And then we actually went back to Genesis chapters 2 and 3 to actually see what took place, how this, how this all got started. Also in those verses, we saw the outcome, or if you will, the consequences of Adam's sin. Matter of fact, there at the end of verse 12, you'll notice it says, and in this way, in other words, because of Adam's sin, Okay? He says, death came to all men because all sinned. A little emphasis there on the word all. Okay? Because of what Adam did, death came to all men, he says, because all sinned. In other words, the sin of Adam was passed on to every one of us who followed him. All of us were born in sin. And therefore, we were born with a desire. We were born with a nature to sin. Matter of fact, the very beginning of verse 19, which we'll look at later as well, 
It says, for just as though the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners. Did you catch that? Through the disobedience of the one man, he says, many were made sinners. As I stated in a previous sermon, uh, King David, centuries before the Apostle Paul even stated this, he understood this concept. Okay? In Psalm 51, verse 5, he begins by saying, I was sinful at birth. Okay, we get that. But he says, I was sinful at birth. But check this out. He goes back even further than that. He says, I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Did you catch that? He was sinful. We are sinful at conception. Okay, today, today the verbiage we would use is to say that sin is passed on seminally from generation to generation from the natural occurrence of what you and I would simply call procreation. Now, as we went from there, and then we spend our time in verses 15 through 17, Paul took this time to share that the actions of Christ are far greater than the actions of Adam. Okay? In other words, yes, there was a, a comparison between the two. It was small, but yes, there was a comparison. But there is also a major contrast, okay? Notice the end of verse 14, and then I'll go into verse 15. The end of verse 14 says, Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. The word pattern there, two posts, is, is where we get our word type, right? He says, Adam was a type of the one to come, that is Christ. He was a type of Christ. But then, to make sure there's no issue, there's no misunderstanding, he begins verse 15 by saying, but, sometimes that word but is really important, but this is where the contrast is. But the gift is not like the trespass, or if you will, the gift of God is not like the trespass of Adam. He says, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, that's Adam, listen to this, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, he says, how much did it overflow to the many? Folks, notice that Paul is pointing out that one is superior to the other. On the negative side, he's saying how bad and how horrific it was that sin and death had come through the actions of Adam. But yet he says on the positive side, focusing on the word grace, the grace of God, he uses those three words, how much more, okay? Those words, how much more, are used four times in this chapter alone. They always, always, always speak of what God has done and how it applies to you and me. That's grace. How much more is the grace of God, which, by the way, happens to come to us. So here is the contrast that he is using Okay, we all understand. Every one of us understand how big Adam's sin was. We all understand the damage that it caused, right? We, we know that now. But, Paul says, how much more did God's grace overflow 
to the many. Folks, God's grace in salvation did not merely cancel the effect of Adam's sin and therefore put us back into a state of innocence, right? As if to say, all right, let's, let's, let's start over again. It was more than that, but rather God's grace gives us far more than Adam ever lost, or I should say we lost in Adam, far more than Adam ever had. Sometimes I think, as I just said, we, it must bring us back to that state of innocence. Oh no, it goes way beyond that. God's grace goes way beyond that. I mean, folks, you and I, I mean, we've been forgiven. We have been redeemed. We have been declared righteous. And you can keep going in all these different things. But most importantly, we were promised eternal life in the glory of God. So much more greater an impact. As big as the sin was, as big, the fact that it affected every human being, so much greater was the impact of what the Lord Jesus Christ had done. Well, going into verse 16, Paul continues to make this point, because this is kind of his point here, and that is the greater over the lesser. Verse 16 says, again, okay, because he's going to say the same, he's going to start verse 16 the same way he started verse 15. He says, again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. He says, the judgment followed one sin, and it brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses, and it brought justification. Did you notice the contrary, the, the, the contrast he uses here? And he does it by speaking of quantity right? From Adam, he very specifically says one sin. But from Christ, he says, came the forgiveness of many trespasses. Folks, God had given Adam and Eve, first he gave it to Adam because Eve wasn't even around yet, but ultimately to both of them, he only gave them one command. He gave them one restriction, and that was not to eat of that tree. And of course, you all know what took place. But because of that one sin, what happened? God didn't just bring judgment on Adam and of course Eve, as verse 12 says, but he brought judgment on everybody. That sin, that judgment followed on to everyone. The entire human race received condemnation due to the one sin, right? Adam's sin. So the point Paul is making here in verse 16 is the judgment followed just the one sin. But there's that word but again, the contrast. Paul says, but the gift, meaning righteousness, meaning salvation. He says it followed many trespasses and it brought justification. Okay, So Adam, one sin, but the work of Christ... He provided for the many, many acts of sin, billions, if you will, of sins. And he says it gave us justification. That is, that is basically a declaration of righteousness. That's an amazing statement. We brought that up this morning as well in our Bible study. Uh, one more quick contrast real quick. Verse 17, because of Adam's sin, he says death reigned, verse 17. Because of that sin, death reigned. People continued to die over and over and over 
We see cemeteries everywhere still today. But he says, because of God's provision of grace, we reign in life through Jesus Christ. Not only in this life, but we will reign also in the life to come, in case you didn't know that. So a lot of great contrasts in that section. Now, as we enter into verses 18 and 19 this morning, the parallel that Paul has used between Adam and Christ is going to close. He's going to close that out. Okay, we're going to finish both these verses, and that parallel will be done away with. Okay, now, saying that, yes, he is still going to, to bring up that, that thought, right, feeding off of verse 12. Remember, I mentioned it earlier from verse 12 to verse 18, he's going to bring up the, the remainder of that. And, but he's also going to use these verses really, really as a summation, a, a summary of what has already been spoken of in verses 12 through 17. I say that because I want you to know there are, are going to be some things that might be a little bit of review, or for some of you who are gone on vacation, it might be the first time you hear it, but you'll hear a few things that we discussed in the last few weeks because, once again, He's giving a little bit of a summary of the previous verses. So read with me, if you will, verses 18 and 19. He says, Consequently, or therefore, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So once again, we see here the comparison, the similarity, right? Adam, one man, one act. Christ, also one man, one act. Adam's act stands for man's condemnation. And then Christ, who stands for the believer's justification. You kind of keep seeing this as we've gone throughout these verses. And therefore, as I briefly mentioned earlier in verses 15 through 16, what mankind lost through Adam's act can be obtained to a much higher degree in Christ. So once again, speaking on this one act of Adam, whether we like it or not, okay, whether we can understand it or not, whether we can grasp it or not, Paul says here in verse 18, the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men. Okay? As was stated in verse 12, Right, which I, I gave an entire sermon just on verse 12. But as also was stated in verse 12, Adam sinned and he brought forth death. But then it says, and in this way, because of Adam, death came to how many? All men. Because how many sinned? All sinned. Okay? As I quoted earlier from Psalm 51, verse 5, right? We were all sinners even in the womb, all right? Now, I believe, and once again, this is just my opinion, I believe God has allowed it this way because every single one of us would have done the very same thing that Adam did. 
Now, if it wasn't the, the, the eating of the fruit from the tree, it would have been something else. But all of us would have sinned. I don't think anybody is willing to stand up and say, well, if I was in the garden with God, I wouldn't have done that. I don't think anybody's going to raise their hand. Is there anybody? Anybody can see? No, didn't think so. Good answer. Good answer. That's my opinion. I believe that's why we all got that. We all received that. We were all born in sin. And therefore, that nature to sin, that desire to do things our way, not God's, which is what Adam did, right? Has come to every one of us, all of us. We inherit a sin nature all the way back to Adam. Adam is the father, as you know, of the entire human race. And every one of us, and that is literally all of us, who follow after him because of that nature, okay, going to sin and therefore die. He brings up sin, right? But then he brings up death. Because we've all sinned, we will all die. Paul says in verse 12, in this way, death came to all men. It wasn't just sin came to all men, but the consequences, right? Death, he says, came to all men. Right here in verse 18, which is where we're at, he uses a different word. He uses the word condemnation. Okay? Now understand, the Greek word there for condemnation, very simple. It just means penalty. Okay? It just means penalty. Thayer's Greek phrases it this way, a damnatory sentence. That's tough. The reason they use such a strong language is because, as we just said, the penalty is what? Death. A damnatory sentence. Condemnation is a penalty. That penalty is death. And of course, as you know, we'll see that in the very next chapter as we study chapter 6, right? The wages of sin is what? Death. Most people know that. Okay, here it's, here it's more talked about. There, it's, we think of it as, well, I memorized that. Okay, here it's reality. It's reality. The wages of sin, the consequences, the penalty of sin is death. But, he says, here is the great news. Here is where the amazing grace of God comes in that was spoken of in verses 15 and 16. Okay, look at the second half right here of verse 18. Second half of verse 18, it says, So also, the result of one act of righteousness, he says it was justification that brings life for all men. Right? First part, the result of the trespass was condemnation. Here, it was justification through the one act of righteousness. So here, once again, is where we see the contrast, which is what he's been doing for all of these verses. Okay, just, just the whole time he's dealing with the contrast. So speaking of Christ, he begins with the words, the one act of righteousness. Okay, Christ gave the one act of righteousness. You can also call it the one righteous act. Okay, it doesn't matter either way, it's just fine. Okay, but this, this of course, this one righteous act is Jesus Christ's death on the cross. That righteous act is his death. Okay? It is Jesus Christ giving his life in place of ours. He took the penalty of our sin upon himself. That's why it's called a righteous act. 
Jesus didn't have any sin. He took ours upon himself. Go back and read Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. If you don't want to just read it, memorize it. It's a great, great passage that you should know, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. So Adam's sin, there's the one trespass, is contrasted with Jesus' sacrifice, that one righteous act. Okay? But with that, okay, the contrast continues. Jesus' one righteous act, what did it bring forth? He said, justification. Justification. Now, you and I know to, to be justified in its simplest form is to be declared righteous. Okay? Well, the only way we can be declared righteous because we know it's not of ourselves is because of imputed righteousness. We talked about that in chapter 3, right? It's a great, great deal that you and I got. Jesus took on our sin and gave us his righteousness. It was imputed to you and me. We had none of our own. We weren't worthy to be called righteous. But here it says he brought justification. That is that imputed righteousness. We were declared righteous. But he says Adam's one act of sin, on the other hand, it brought condemnation. Okay? And to show that the result of Christ's act was so far beyond Adam's, much more than just a simple contrast. He says the one brings life, okay? Life, that is a spiritual life, if you will, a relational life. We have a relationship with God right now on this earth. But also more than that, that will culminate, as you know, into a glorious eternal life. Life in the here and now and life eternal. Once again, on the other side, sin brought condemnation. Sin brought that penalty. And as we know, that penalty is death. Physical death that came through Adam, right? Quite this. Yes. Physical death came through Adam. Spiritual death will come through our own sin. Okay? So through the one act of the one man, Adam, it brought sin and condemnation. It brought death to everyone. Through the one act of the one man, Jesus Christ, came justification and it came life. Now this is similar, if not precisely, what Paul was pointing to just two verses ago in, verses, or in verse 16. Remember verse 16, he said, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. He said the judgment followed the one sin was condemnation. The gift followed many trespasses and it brought justification. So here in verse 18, just like that in verse 16, Paul's focus is on the greater over the lesser. The greater, of course, being the act of Christ, the lesser being the act of Adam. Okay, so once again, we see these, these, these small similarities of Adam and Christ, but Paul's emphasis is ultimately the distinction and therefore the superiority of the one act of Christ over the one act of Adam. I said this before, but it kind of reminds me of our study through the book of Hebrews because the entire book of Hebrews, which speaks on many things, 
But ultimately, everything it deals with throughout the entire book is focused on the superiority of Christ over everything. Every person, every act, every sacrifice, doesn't matter. It's the superiority of Christ. He's just giving it to us in a little bit here in Romans chapter 5. To requote what I, what I stated earlier from uh, Expositor's commentary, he says, God's grace in salvation did not merely cancel the effect of Adam's sin and therefore put us back to a state of innocence, but it rather gives us far more than we ever lost in Adam. Okay? It really brings us back to those three words how much more? Remember, I've mentioned those a few different times. How much more took place in Christ? That applies to his grace, right? Let me read for you those four verses in this one section right here where he uses those three words. Verse 9, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. Verse 10. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Verse 15. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, how much did it overflow to the many? One more, verse 17. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Folks, I remind you once again when you read those, those words in this specific chapter speak on what God does one thing only, what God does, but that's applied to you and me. We receive it. God's work, God's gift, God's grace that we are the beneficiaries of every time, every time. Now, before we close in verse 19, uh, I want to just clear something up that I, I didn't speak on right there in verse 18, but th this is something, I don't know if you, some of you may have noticed this, but this is something that's been misused and abused for centuries, okay? I want you to read verse 18 one more time. He says, consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for who? All men. So also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. Did you catch that? He says justification that brings life was for all men. It came to all men. Some of you might already be scratching your head. Many people, folks, over the years have taken this verse to prove universalism. Okay, universalism is that thought, that belief that all people will be saved. Okay? Now, as you know, sadly, um, that people take Scripture out of context, and they do that all of the time. And unfortunately, because of today's church being so ignorant of the Word of God, people just buy into it. 
your friend who's a Christian, some guy on the radio, or some, some dude who's a DJ on a Christian radio station throws something out, and it's completely out of context, and, and people just buy into it, okay? Here, in this verse, folks, it goes deeper than the immediate context. Matter of fact, it goes deeper than the entire letter of Romans. It goes all the way to the context of the entire New Testament. Did you catch that? Immediate context, and then the whole book, and then the entire New Testament. Somehow, we're supposed to take the hundreds of scriptures from other New Testament letters, okay, including what Paul has said in this very letter in the first four chapters, right? And, and act as if salvation by grace through faith in Christ, it, it, it doesn't really exist. That's what we're asked by these people, okay? Or, or more so than that, this one verse, Romans 5, 18, okay, they're saying actually cancels out all of those hundreds of other verses detailing there's one way of salvation. So why? Because out of the blue, Paul just somehow drops this doctrinal bomb of, of, of universalism right in the middle of his letter. Go figure. <laughs> really? Really? Come on. <laughs> but that's what many people believe and what many people have taught. Look real quick, one more time, at verse 18. He says that Adam, he says what Adam did was condemnation for all men. And then he says what Jesus did was justification for all men. Okay? And by the way, Paul uses the very same language in verse 15. He simply uses the word many. Okay? Instead of using the word all, he uses the word many. Okay? Now, listen to me how this is phrased, because this is very important. Listen to me how this is phrased. Same thing in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. Paul says, For as in Adam all die, Okay, let me say that again. In Adam, all die. So, in Christ, all will be made alive. Okay, listen folks. Here in verse 18. The all who are condemned are the all who are in Adam. That makes sense? The all who are condemned, penalty, death, are the all who are in Adam. But then on the flip side, the all who are justified are the all who are in Christ. Okay? It's who the all is referring to. That's what you got to look at. If you just read the verse, people are going to go, hey, look at that, universalism, out of the blue contradicts the whole rest of Scripture, but nonetheless, hey, look at that. But he's saying here, all that are justified are the all that are in Christ. Okay? We've got to understand that. Who is it referring to? Who's the all referring to? Okay? I remember years ago, there was a guy on the radio um, 
whenever he came to a scripture that had the word all in it, he would always say, all means all, and that's all, all means. I can't tell you how many times I heard that. Okay? All means all, that's all, all means. Well, you know, that might be a really slick way of saying that. But in the end, it's not necessarily true. Okay? Yes, the word all does mean all. Right? But all of who? All of who? Is the context talking about uh, all of the Pharisees? Right? Is the context talking about um, all of the persecuted Jews? Is the context uh, referring to those who were in the temple? Because the whole context of a passage might be talking about the people who are in the temple, and then all of a sudden you see a verse that says all the people. Well, all the people are all the people who are in the temple, because that's the context, right? That makes sense to everybody? All must be applied to whom it is referring to. In other words, here in verse 18, all who are affected by what Adam did, right? And then the all who were affected by what Christ did. As the entire New Testament teachers, uh, teaches, all who are affected by Christ, by his act, are those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. So the all tied to Adam, guess what? The all that applied to Adam is everyone, isn't it? The all applied to Adam is all. Every single person sinned, every one of us. So the all there does mean all. Because it's in Adam, and he says, because all sinned and therefore all died. The all tied to Christ are all who have turned to him in faith and therefore have life. As I said earlier, a spiritual life right now, a relationship with God, but more importantly, an eternal life in the glory of heaven, which is to come. I hope everybody understood that. My little rant is over. I'll continue forward now. Let's close with uh, verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So once again, going back to what I just said, you'll notice the word many there in that verse. It applies to the all who were in the previous verse. He just used a different word, but the same application. Okay? One applies to Adam, the other applies to Christ. He just uses the word many. Now, you probably noticed, as I read verse 19, that it is extremely similar to verse 18, right? Except for just a couple of exchanges of words. It's basically saying the exact same thing, except it exchanges a couple of words. The one trespass of Adam that we saw in verse 18 is now called disobedience in verse 19, okay? Jesus' one act of of righteousness in verse 18 is now called obedience in verse 19. It's just a couple changing words. They mean the same thing, but it's just a couple of changes, okay? 
And of course, just like prior, Adam's disobedience not only made himself, but many sinners, with Jesus' obedience, made many righteous. Okay? Now, as I close, I, I really don't want to repeat everything that I've already stated in verse 18 because, like I said, they're really just, they, he chose to kind of repeat himself, used a couple different words, which means the same thing. So let me just say this. In that last section there, as we can see in life, let's just say, we really only have two choices, don't we? We only have two choices, to honor the Lord, Okay? By following Christ, we call that obedience. Or we can dishonor the Lord by following the world, or it, in this very context, following Adam. And he calls that disobedience. Folks, Adam was only given, as I mentioned earlier, one command, just one, before he broke <laughs> the one command. He's only given one command before he broke that one command and he sinned. Adam chose to do what he wanted over what God wanted. At, God even said, if you do this, you will die. Adam, as you know, I'm not going to go through it, but as we went through in, Galatians, in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 3, his wife took a bite, gave it to him. He says, oh, sure. He wanted his way more than he wanted God's. See, Christ, on the other hand, he came to do the will of the one who sent him. John chapter 6, verse 38. He says he came to do the will of the Father. Prior to that, in chapter 4 in John, verse 34, he said, Jesus said his food, his very sustenance was to do the will of the Father to obey the Father, to do what he wanted to do, and to finish his work. This food, as Jesus calls it, was, I shouldn't say was, that food imparted satisfaction. That food was the fulfillment of Jesus' very life, was obedience to the Father, was submitting himself to the will of the Father. It was, if you will, the, the delight of his soul. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And he said this. He says, he humbled you, you meaning Israel or you meaning the Jews, okay? He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you, many of you know this, to teach you, here's why he did it, that man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Our sustenance isn't necessarily just physical, but it's spiritual. Physically, we need food. Spiritually, he says, we live by what comes out of the mouth of God. We live by obedience. We live by doing his will. See, folks, even in the most Difficult time, if you go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. In Mark chapter 14, verse 36, Jesus says, Father, everything is possible for you. 
Take this cup from me. That's the cup of wrath. Jesus says, God, take this cup from me. But he says, but not what I will, but what you will. In other words, he says, but you know what? It's not what I want. I want what you want. Okay? Here we have Jesus' prayer, folks, which uh, is not far from, if you will, the cross. The cross is what's coming up. Okay? This is what's happening in the garden, and it, it only got worse. Looking to later that day, knowing that, that he would carry the sins, carry the weight of the world's sin upon himself, knowing that he would hang, suffer beforehand, and then hang and suffocate and go through the pain, excruciation of the flogging and the nails on the cross. He asked the Father, if, if it was possible that this hour might pass. Do we, do we really need to do this? But it's not his will, he says, but I want your will. The worst of the worst of the worst, the torture, the murder of Jesus, if you will. He says, but I, I, I want to do what you want to do. And of course, we all know what took place. Ultimately, we have to ask ourselves this question. No matter the difficulty, do we follow after Adam and do what we want? Or do we follow after Christ doing the will of the Father? Because that's really what it comes down to at this very end here. He spends this whole time talking about the contrast of what Christ did versus what Adam did. Now, of course, Christ is, was much greater. But yet Adam, and sometimes us, we choose the wrong side, don't we? And we have to do this every day. We choose to say, look, I, I, I'm either going to do my own will, which I like, which is fun, which helps me in my life, or I'll do the right thing, and I want to do what Christ did, and I want to obey the Lord and do his will. Those are our two choices in life. We can see the consequences for both. But that's the challenge as we close in this, this little section to recognize we only have two choices and we know the consequences of one and the consequences of the other. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that we can go through um, this section. Lord, you know, the book of Romans is so deep. It, it, um, he talks about so many different things that that we won't usually find in a standard letter written to another church. Talking about sin and Adam, where it came from, and how we're all received the penalty, the condemnation of that. But how much greater was the grace of you who gave us salvation through Jesus Christ and eternal life. What an amazing, amazing thing that we can know. And even just discussing the things of Adam, but the greater things of Christ. But Lord, it does simply remind us, as I just mentioned, one of them is based upon what one man chose and there were consequences. On the other side, it's what one man chose and it became justification for all of us, eternal life. We can obey you or we cannot obey you. That's really what it boils down to. What we know in life, it's a struggle. We fight. We fight against the world. We fight against the devil, but we also fight against our own flesh our own attitude, our own inward sin. God, help us as we live this life 
to know there are two choices. Not three, not four, not ten. There are two. Lord, help us to be faithful. Empower us to be faithful to you. To have that same mindset as Philippians 2 said, have this attitude the same as that of Christ Jesus. And Lord, that is doing your will. Help us to do that daily for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.